Today we come together and we're going to finish up this series that I'm calling Next Steps. And we're thinking about as individuals and as a church, what are our next steps of faith? And we began by thinking about our initial commitment of faith, following Jesus, making him Lord of our lives. And then we've talked about three steps that we come back to over and over again as a church, and that's to gather grow and go and gathering is what we do here today we're gathered together for worship to lift god up and to have this experience that binds us together and and changes us and then second we grow usually in smaller groups than this maybe even one-on-one as we have conversations with one another and have bible studies and classes in which we think about scripture and allow it to challenge us and change our relationship with god and we also grow individually as we spend time in god God's Word, reading through and studying it. But it's the last step sometimes we forget, and that's to go. I grew up in a church that was really serious about gathering and growing. We were, you know, this is how we judged whether you were spiritually mature, yet you were expected to be at church on Sunday morning, right? That was the gathering part, and when I say Sunday morning, I mean every Sunday morning, and then we had Bible study beforehand, and if you were serious about growing, you'd be at that, and if you were a really good Christian, you'd show up on Sunday night again for gathering to worship, and if you were one of the select few, then you'd be there on Wednesday night for Bible study as well, and that was all every week, and that was just part of what we did, and if you were, you know, a good Christian, you did all those things. Well, the thing was, we were good at that. People put together these worship services and spent time choosing music and and whoever was preaching spent time preparing for that lesson. And that was true for all the other growing times as well. But, But we often forgot about the going. It was sort of expected that if someone was interested in following Jesus Christ, they would show up, right? I mean... We were there every Sunday. We were there every Wednesday night. Surely they knew that. And and in fact, some of them did. And people came to know Jesus because of the gathering and the growing. But but you know, the vast majority of people in our community did not show up for the gathering or the growing. And we didn't do a lot to go to them. And so, if they didn't show up, they didn't hear. And I think that's an easy trap for us to fall into. Because just like we were comfortable in our nice church building in those days, it's easy for us today to get comfortable in this building, in this place, because this is where we gather, and this is where we grow. We're here today, and it feels like a pretty safe place, and lots of you and I are going to show up many times this week for things that go on, Bible studies, and some of us work here, and there's going to be meetings, and and then there's going to be things going on at Vision Way that you might show up for with kids or grandkids, and this becomes a hub of our lives. And you know what? That's a good thing. It's good for us to to feel comfortable walking in this building. It's good for this building to be in some ways a second home for us, where we like to be, where we enjoy sharing in the fellowship with other believers in our community of faith and with the school. And and all those are good things. But here's the thing we have to remember. Some people will show up here. Maybe this is a first Sunday for you today in this place, and it's because you you heard about our church, you heard about what's going on with Vision Way, or something brought you here this morning, and we're really glad you're here. And there will be people who show up because of what we're doing in this building. But you know what? There's lots of people who won't. 
And we have to think about them as well. You know, it's easy for us to say, this is a good place, surely people will just come, but, but many won't. You know, it would be sort of like someone saying, you know what, I'd really like, I have a heart for the people of Japan, and I feel like there's so many people there who don't know Jesus, and there are, and I really want to pray about them coming to Christ, and, and I want to do something about it, so, you know, I'm going to start a, you know, maybe a, a website that, that will, will get them to Jesus, and I'm going to post some videos of me teaching, but, but you and I both know that's not going to work, Right? If I want to reach the people of Japan and tell them about Jesus, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go to them. Because there's not many people from Japan who are going to show up in this room on a Sunday morning. Now, it's more likely there's some people from Taylorville or Edinburgh or any of the small towns around us that might show up more likely them than Japan, but wow, there's a lot of people who will never come to this building unless we make some effort to go to them. And that's what I want us to think about today. To think about reaching people who won't show up in this room. And the thing is, we're not the first to have to deal with this issue. Christians have been dealing with this for a very long time, and it goes all the way to the book of Acts. And we've sort of parked in the book of Acts in 16, 17, 19, and 20, those chapters as we've been through this series. And today I want us to focus in on chapter 17. And still we're talking about Paul and, and the message that he was preaching to the people around him. Many of them had never heard about Jesus, and we'll see that at work this week. Last week, you might remember, we left with Paul in the town of Berea. And Paul went there and, and he followed his normal practice. Paul was a Jew and he had followed faith to find Jesus, but he was still a Jewish teacher. He'd been raised as a rabbi. And so when he went to any town he had never been to, what Paul often did, almost always did, was if there was a synagogue there, he went there to preach and to teach. And that makes sense. Being a Jew, he went to the Jews who were in that town he presented his credentials as a rabbi and, and he took the Old Testament Scriptures and he showed how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. Makes sense. And many people came to faith because Paul did just that. And we're told in Berea that did happen. In fact, these people were so serious about this teaching that when they heard what Paul teached, they checked it out for themselves to the Scriptures and, and found out Paul was teaching the truth. Now, after Paul left Berea, Paul went to a very different place. He went to the city of Athens. I mean, even just saying Athens for many of us reminds us of philosophy, ancient philosophy. We might know that that's the home of people like Socrates and Aristotle and Plato and even other philosophical schools that developed after them. It was a great metropolitan city of the ancient world. And in fact, it was a little bit in decline by the days of Paul during the Roman Empire because political power certainly not, was not focused in Athens. It's now in Rome. And there were even some other great philosophical centers like Tarsus, where Paul was from, and Alexandria in, in Egypt. But yet, Athens was still Athens. And it had a little bit of a mystique around its name. And if you were a great teacher in Athens, you were a great teacher. And so Paul goes to Athens and, and he does what he normally does. He went to the synagogue and, and he preached there and he, he showed those people there that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. But it seems that 
that Paul knew that there was something more to be done. That in this great city of the ancient world, there were people that needed to be reached in a different way. And so Paul also went to the marketplace and spoke in the marketplace in Athens. Now, as I think that through, my guess is the synagogue in Athens sort of like this place for Paul. We come in here and we're pretty comfortable. You know, we, we basically know what's going to happen in this room and the people who are going to stand up here and we've most of us got our favorite spot to sit in, right? And we know we're probably going to sit there and there's going to be familiar faces and people that hold similar beliefs. That would have been true for Paul in the synagogue in Athens. Maybe he didn't know those particular people and he didn't know that particular room, but he knew what to expect when he walked into the synagogue. And he came to know those people. And they shared common beliefs and common respect for what we call the Old Testament, for their Bible. They understood that it was God's Word to them. All that Paul held in common with these people. But when he went to the, to the marketplace in the city of Athens, that was all different. That's not comfortable in the same way. The people who were there did not share the same beliefs that Paul shared with the other Jews of Athens. And so Paul gets up and he preaches, as many people would have done in the ancient world, and it would have gathered a crowd, and they listened. And even though this was not comfortable for Paul, what we find out it was that there was some success. There were some people who heard Paul, and they listened. Now we pick the story up in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his, his fellow travelers, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, Athens is a philosophical center, a city with a university, but it's also a religious center. And so there are temples and idols built to all the Greek gods. And Paul looked around and he's distressed by this. Why would Paul be so distressed by this? Because he was a Jew who knew his Bible and he knew what God said about idols. And he knew the many Old Testament commands that banned the making and worshiping of idols. And more than that, Paul knew that all these idols that they spent their time and money worshiping their lives devoted to this were false. That those idols and temples in reality were vacant. There was nothing there. And so Paul did go and preach and teach in the synagogue and in the marketplace. In verse 18, we find this out. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. So he reaches some of them, and some of them see him as even worthy of debate. They're going to engage Paul. Some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. That word babblers is sort of what we would call bird brain. Okay? This, this guy's empty. There's nothing there. And Paul would have had great differences with these philosophers. Some who had no belief in God at all. Some who had some belief in God, but certainly not the God that we worship. Sort of a hands-off kind of God who's just out there. And certainly not believing that God would take human form, die, and be raised from the dead. Over and over, resurrection is the key issue, and it was in Athens as well. 
So they have this debate back and forth where Paul's giving his ideas and some of them are sort of saying this guy's ridiculous, but others are engaging Paul. In fact, some of them say, why don't you come to our assembly? We call it the Areopagus because of where it meets. Come speak to us and tell us a little more. And maybe these foreign gods that you're talking about, and in some ways they were foreign gods, they were the gods of the people of Israel, but in truth they were the God, the one God, of all people. And that's what Paul wanted to get across. And so they bring him in and, and allow him to explain some of his beliefs. And we pick that part up in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, all of these great philosophers of Athens, and says, People of Athens, I see that you are in every way very religious. Now that's a generic term, right? You can be religious and worship all kinds of gods. You could be religious and worship just one God that is not the one true God. But Paul walked through the city and he saw that they were religious because of the idols and the great temples that stretched back for hundreds of years. He knew they were religious and he knew this was a way to open a door to begin to talk to them. Now, some of those philosophers would have immediately dismissed him because they didn't believe in any God. Well, Paul had a lot further to go with them than the ones who already accepted the existence of some kind of God. Verse 23, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, and here's Paul's entry point, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to, uh, to proclaim to you. What we know, if we look back in the history of Athens, was that there were probably several idols or temples to unknown gods. And in fact, a couple hundred years before Paul, there was an epidemic in the city of, Rome, in the city of Athens. And they, they gave sacrifices to all of their gods in these many temples and before these many idols. And nothing seemed to change. The epidemic continued and even spread until they gave a sacrifice to the unknown god. And they believed that this sacrifice had saved the city from this epidemic. And so they continued to worship the unknown God, the God who was not named, because they wanted to make sure that they got all the gods included. Because you've got to please them all, because if you don't, you just might be cursed. And Paul says, I want to tell you about this unknown God. You worship Him, but you don't even know who he is. You're ignorant of this God. And then Paul begins to introduce them to the God they don't know. Verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. This one true God, and this God doesn't even need your temples. This God doesn't need an idol because He created all that is. Verse 25, And He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything. Rather, He Himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. This is the God who animates all life. Human life, every kind of life. God stands behind it all. He doesn't need us to make Him a temple or an idol. God has already created everything that was and is and will be. That's the unknown God. Paul continues to expound this. 
And he talks about God creating all the nations, which the people of Athens would have been concerned about because they were a great power under the Greek Empire, and now the Romans have taken that power. And that wakes up all of that thinking. And we go down to verse 31. And he says, For he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who's that? Jesus. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now at least some of these ancient philosophers and the people who gathered would have believed in the soul of, huma of humanity. They would have believed that each human being has a soul. A soul that is eternal. A soul that does not die. A soul that lives on even after the body dies. But they did not believe in resurrection. That's where Paul is set apart from them. That Jesus died, but then he was raised from the dead. And on this day that Paul's talking about, there will be a further resurrection from the dead. But, even though that was true, if we look down in verse 34, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Believed in what? Paul? No. In Jesus. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So there are actually people among those philosophers who become followers of Jesus. Now here's what we need to notice. What would have happened if Paul had said, yeah, I see this great city full of pagans, full of godless philosophers, and you know what? I'm going to go preach in the synagogue. I'm going to stay with these people that are, you know, I'm comfortable with. I'm going to stay with these people who have the same basic belief system that I have, and all I've got to do is convince them that Jesus is the one that God had already prepared the way for. Paul would have reached some of the Jews, but he would never have reached all of these Gentiles who heard the message of Jesus unless Paul went to them, they never heard. And unless we go, people will never hear. The message for us today, if we want to engage people, we have to engage them where they are. We can hope they'll just show up in this room, and some will, and we ought to rejoice in that. Because they hear something that's happening here, because they see something online, it's great when people just show up in this room on a Sunday morning. But you know, if we really want to engage the people around us, the people who live near us, we have to engage them where they are. And we've talked a bit about this in the past. Two words that come to mind that help us to understand how we can do this. Invest and invite. We've talked about how important those words are. How really the best way to get people to hear the message of Jesus is to invest in them personally. In other words, our family, our friends, our neighbors, the people we come in contact regularly with in the community. The best way to introduce them to Jesus is to invest in their lives. To do what normal people do, which is to engage people. To talk with them. To talk about their families and their lives and their kids and grandkids. To engage their lives. Not just as a project, but because we want to share the love of Jesus. 
and then earn the right to invite them. Because in most places, in most churches, 80% of the people who come to church to any kind of church event, whether it's a, some kind of outreach event that's just a lot of fun, or whether it's a worship service or a small group, 80% of the people who come for the first time were invited by someone in that church. So how are we going to reach people? How are we going to engage people with the message of Jesus? We've got to do it. We've got to do it. We've got to invest in people so they know they matter. And then we've got to invite them. Invite them to come be a part of something that's happening in the life of our church. Maybe it's on campus, maybe it's off campus. But we engage them where they are. And we look out and think about our community. I mean, there are people out there who are living their lives much like some of these people in Athens without knowing that God loves them. Without knowing that God sent His Son to die for them. To engage them in. God has done so much and they don't know. Or they knew and they walked away from it. So what are we going to do with that? It's so easy for us to sit in this building, in these pews, and be really comfortable with what's going on in this place. But if we just do that, those people that we walk past every day and maybe have a relationship with will never know what God has done for them. It's up to us to engage them where they are, to invest in their lives, to invite them to be part of what's going on here so that they can experience the same thing that we have, that God loves them so deeply that he gave his son. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful that each one of us can know that we're going to spend eternity with you because Jesus was willing to forgive us of our sins and offers us eternal life, offers us resurrection in his name. And God, we pray that you will give us the strength, the courage to engage people where they are, just like Paul did, to reach out so that they can know the same thing we know, your love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And maybe today you've decided it's time to make that commitment of faith and start growing closer to Christ. And you want to be baptized into Him. We'd love to walk with you through that process. Or maybe you've done that and you want to be a member of our church. If you've made either one of those decisions, let us know about it. Come forward as we sing our invitation today. Let's stand together.